So if you could turn to Luke chapter 1. And it sounds like a Christmas message. In a sense, maybe it is. Uh, I would say it's more of an incarnation message. But it's a very familiar part of the word to us. And we're going to look at the song of Mary, the Magnificat it's called. That's the theological term for it. That's the one I'm in tomorrow. Amen, amen. So, well, I'm not going to look at it all. There's one verse I want to zero in, but we'll start from verse 46. Uh, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. There's an old uh, chorus uh, with those words, and it's always playing in my mind. One of those ones, you know, that's in loop in your mind. Um, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. I'm just going to read the whole thing here. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath hoped or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, that's Elizabeth, and returned to her own house. What I want us to zero in on is verse 52. It just jumped out at me the other day when I heard this. It really just uh, jumped out at me because, you know, I think we tend to look at the Magnificat as being, in a sense, nice words. You know, nice thoughts, almost nice sentiments. We don't really see it as prophetic. We don't necessarily see it as being what it really was, which is what we're going to look at. But what, we, what, what I want to show you here is, is the context of this. You see, Mary had received the word in her womb. The word of God, the second person of the Godhead, uh, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And when Mary received the word in her womb, this is what came out of her mouth. She wasn't saying this prior to this. And that's what we need to understand. She had received the word, be unto me according to your word. And when that word came in by the Holy Spirit, this is what, if you like, rose up within her and came out of her mouth. And it's this verse 52 that I want to zero in on, where it says, he has put down the mighty from their seats, which is King James, but actually means in the Greek, and the NIV translates it this way, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has brought down princes from their thrones. In the NLT. And what I want us to see is this. You see, when we receive the word in our hearts, 
uh, Mary received the word in her womb. But we receive Jesus in our hearts. When we receive the word in our hearts, this prophetic message becomes real to us. And the message is this, very simple. Jesus is a threat to any governmental ruler who does not submit to Yahweh and his son. Jesus is a threat to Antichrist powers or wicked rulers. And this was proven when he was born of Mary, that wicked ruler Herod tried to kill him. Because he understood, Herod understood, and also, of course, behind Herod was satanic powers, the devil himself, principalities and powers, who understood that what's in this woman's womb is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. For this purpose, Jesus was manifested, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So on that spiritual, supernatural level, Jesus is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. But also, as uh, Mary says here, he is a threat because he will pull down wicked rulers from their thrones. And, 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 and let's be really honest, if you look at the history of Christianity, uh, since Jesus was born, and of course crucified and uh, raised and exalted, it's been about wicked powers constantly being overthrown. The Roman Empire was overthrown, and any uh, of, of these Rulers in history, Napoleon, Hitler, and you've been way back, these powers came to nothing because they were pulled down from their thrones. And we've had the advance of the gospel. Now that is particularly important to us at this time when we see uh, wicked governments in the earth. We see wickedness being literally exploding across the earth particularly in America, here in Britain, here in Scotland. Yeah. And it's not, you might say, well, it's not that bad. You know, it's not like the covenant in times yet, but the same spirit is manifest. Yeah. Now, as, I, as Pastor Alex said a couple of weeks ago, we're not at war with governments in the sense of, let's start a militia, let's hand rifles out, can you shoot Lydia, can you shoot... Uh, David, can you shoot a gun type thing? We're not doing that. And quite frankly, we're not even going to get placards. I mean, we might do things like that. But we're not using carnal means to fight spiritual battles. And I would say it's not that we're at war with governments, but governments are at war with us. And that's what we need to face at this time. Yeah, uh, we've had a lot of people in, in recent times in here who are a uh, bit misguided about stuff like that because they see the battle with governments and the battle with what they call the powers that be. But the powers that be are ordained of God, which means, because a lot of these people that want, to, and Christians too, among them, 
lot of these people want to rebel and rail against governments. But really what they're proposing is anarchy. Let's destroy the government. You know, let's, let's mobilize. A lot of that is pipe dreams, but that's the heart. But you see, it's not that we want to destroy government, but that God wants to cleanse it and redeem it. And have governmental rulers who submit to him. We're not destroying the monarchy. We're not destroying the office of prime minister. We're not destroying these things so that we can have anarchy. And out of the, the chaos, someone will rise. That, that's not of God. But what we're looking for, and that's why we're supposed to pray for our kings and those in authority, is that they will turn to God. And if they don't, then they'll be removed and replaced with the godly. So that is... Uh, how we go about it. But we have to understand that when Jesus is, in a sense, incarnating in us, Jesus in us is still a threat to governments and rulers, prime ministers, presidents, who seek to oppose God's purpose. In the earth. And we're going to look at that scripturally. And it's so vital because, you know, I, I'm going to say this. I, I hear a lot of stuff about Nicola Sturgeon. And I agree with it. Okay? I, do, I dislike the woman. Okay? I don't like her at all. But so much of the opposition steps over a line of resistance and opposition, which is valid, but into a place of abuse. And I believe when we start to abuse government, but we can have a laugh, we can have a joke in a sense, we can laugh about sleepy Joe Biden and all that, and you got all these internet memes, but some of it starts to become vicious, some of it starts to become horrible, and we become worse than the people sometimes that we complain about. So let's keep, it, let's keep it biblical, let's keep it spiritual when we're looking at these things. And there's plenty enough in the Word. Let's turn to Psalm 2, folks. Because this pattern that we see, where it's, when Mary says, you know, God brings down wicked rulers from the thrones. She says he has brought down rulers from their thrones. So this is, in a sense, we could say it this way, She's speaking by the Holy Ghost. She's speaking because the Word has incarnated in her womb and is growing in her womb. And so you don't think that she's picking up thoughts from the Lord when this process is going on within her, just let you and I pick up thoughts by the Spirit because He has come to live in us. And what He says is vitally important. Because, let me just say this, the days of being nice Christians is over. There is no anointing to be nice. I remember saying that once, and my goodness, you think, what a hornet's nest. Because some Christians think that's, that's their, their job, to be nice people. Psalm 2. Why... Do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
Or why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? And then he answers us. We don't need to speculate. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, you know, the way things are right now, how, how is that? How did that happen? How did we get to this place? As if we don't know. Why is the world like it is right now? And you know, a lot of us want to blame uh, things like uh, BLM or Antifa. But who's behind these things? Because the Bible tells us the source very clearly of futility and the nations being in tumult. The Bible tells us the source. It doesn't leave us speculating. It doesn't leave us wondering. It says the kings of the earth set themselves or rise up or prepare for, for battle, it says, which is quite extreme in one translation. And the rulers take counsel together or band together, or plot together, or conspire together. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, 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 no. I'm a conspiracy believer. Because the Bible tells me, my Bible tells me, that the kings of the earth conspire together. And that's not just talking about monarchs, because we don't have many of them left. The kings of the earth today would be governmental people. Uh, Ministers, prime ministers, presidents, chairmen, whatever it is they call themselves in their particular country or nation. But it means, or, or what we would say in Scotland, the high regions. The rulers of the earth. Or those that think they're the rulers of the earth. And it says they, count, they conspire together, they take counsel together. And what, 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 what is it that they're doing then? What, why are they doing this? Well, again, we're not left to speculate. We're told very clearly it's against the Lord, against Yahweh, or we would say against the Father. And against his anointed, which means Jesus, isn't it? Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. And just in case you're doubting that that's Jesus, well, it quotes this in the New Testament, and then it tells you further on in the psalm, we'll look at that. But also, we're the anointed. Because the anointed one lives in us. Just like when Mary received the word, and it became a, a fetus, if you want to call it that, in her womb, growing in her womb, she received the word, and that word released through her mouth, as I said, became a threat to governmental powers. And that's why the governmental powers tried to kill Mary. Because the devil recognized what was growing inside her. Does the devil recognize what's inside you and I? Yes, that's why persecution happens. And you know when you go to countries where these governmental powers have more sway, more, more oppression of the people, open oppression. That's why in all these countries like Soviet Russia, communist China, uh, and, and Muslim worlds, that they, they really clamp down on Christians and persecute them and kill them and so on. Because there those wicked powers have sway. And it's always the Christians that they, they persecute, isn't it? Why? 
Because Jesus is in them. Because Jesus is the threat to their way of life, to their government, to their rule and sway over the peoples. So, he says here, the, it's against the Lord and against his anointed, against Jesus and against his people. And then it says here, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, I'd love to get to Psalm 149 uh, and, and elaborate on what the bonds and cords and restraints are. You can do that for yourself. But basically, it means that we as believers, particularly in the Christian West, if you like, in Christian nations, that we are requiring of our governments that they bring about laws that reflect God's word or that are based on God's word. Um, and, of course, we've seen a complete deterioration of that in recent times because these governmental powers don't want to base their laws on God's word. So they're saying, let's cast these things off. Let's, have, you know, let's no longer make it illegal for Adam to marry Steve, although God's word says Adam should be married Eve. Does that make sense? Let's cast away these cords. A man shall marry a woman. No, a man can marry whoever he wants. A horse. A horse, a donkey, an elephant. Those days are coming, folks. Unless we see God move. Now, this is, this is important to see this. Because I think, you know, we get, we get really, uh, we get upset and I think we get fearful because we see this encroaching darkness. We see all this going on. We see the nations in a tumult. And in the last two years, it's just taken off. But look what it says here. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And it says, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, that, if you notice in your Bibles, the Lord there uh, is not capitalized. So it's actually speaking about the anointed one, the one at God's right hand, the Lord Jesus. I'm quite sure the Father's laughing too. But here it's referring to Adonai, Jesus the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yeah, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare a decree. Yahweh has said to me, you are my son. Now this is Jesus speaking, the same Jesus that was in Mary's womb. The same Jesus that is in your inner man right now, your spirit man. Jesus, or Christ, is in you, the hope of glory. That, that one is speaking right now. And he says, You're my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Folks, there is a conspiracy. And it's against this anointed one. And if it's against the anointed, it's anti-Christ. So it's an anti-Christ conspiracy. The kings of the earth. So what are they doing at these G7, G20, COP26, all these meetings that they have? Well, they have umpteen agendas, as we know. But ultimately, this, the, 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 the Spirit of God has shown us by his word here that the agenda is against the Lord and against his anointed. 
So, it's up, so they're up to no good. There is a conspiracy. It is Antichrist. But look here at verse 8. And these are rulers of nations. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Folks, the nations belong to Jesus. Amen. They belong to Jesus in every sense, in every way. They belong to him governmentally. They belong to him because they're his inheritance. They belong to him. And, and the nations includes the peoples. So, so they belong to him. They're his. But let me ask you a question. How is Jesus going to inherit the nations? By being present in the nations. Oh yes, amen, when Jesus returns. Folks, what is he going to return to? Think about that. The nations, it says, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to this, look what it says here. I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. We'll, we'll get to that in, in a later uh, verse of scripture. But, Who's going to make the nations his inheritance? Is he just going to come back, wipe out all his enemies, and then inherit what's left? You know, that's not much of an inheritance. Is it? If, you just, if you're coming back to destroy, and then inherit what, you, what you've just destroyed. The nations are his inheritance. We live in the nations and his presence is in us. So it's our job to make what's around us his inheritance. <coughs> the ends of the earth for your possession. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The ends of the earth in Bible times was a specific region Understood by people living at that time, and of course it was the British Isles, and particularly Scotland. So we could read here, the nations for your inheritance, and Scotland for your possession. If we, if we believe why we meet here every week, is so that God can move in Scotland, because God through Scotland wants to bless the nations. With outpouring and awakening revival beyond anything we've ever seen. As Stevie would say, habitation, not just visitation. Do we believe that? Or are we just here to get in at the cold and have something to eat or have a nice wee meeting? We have to believe that Arise Scotland is about our part to play. I'm not interested in, well, I am interested, but I'm not as interested in what God's doing in America or Canada or other countries. I'm interested in what God's doing here because we're here. And I don't even think we begin to understand the privilege of being in Scotland at this time. Scotland for his possession has is, is got to be the thing that burns fiercely in our heart. Then look what he says here. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And this is what I want us to see. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be wise, O kings. We've just read that Mary said, 
He's pulling people down from thrones. He's not pulling good kings down. He's pulling bad kings down. He's pulling bad rulers out of office. If I had a pound for every prophetic person, voice, whatever, that said to me recently, God is going to pull Boris Johnson out of office. He's been found in the ba- weighed in the balance and found wanting. God pulls wicked rulers out of office. He's in the business of doing it. And that's what Mary was saying. This is what God does. He says, and this is, this is what he's saying to the rulers. This is, and you know, who's, who's going to say this to rulers in the earth today? Let me tell you who's not going to read this out on Monday morning in Holyrood. Nicola Sturgeon ain't going to read this. Boris isn't going to stand up tonight and say, press conference, folks. Uh, it's just been revealed to me that the Lord has spoken. That's not going to happen. First of all, they don't want to hear it. Those that are aware of it certainly don't want to hear it. Those that aren't aware of it means nothing to them anyway. This is, oh, well, it's in the Bible. It's there for them to read. You don't read the Bible, folks. That's the problem. We're here to fix the problem. We're not here to make up the numbers. We're here to be a voice in the earth for the Lord. So he says, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth, or you rulers of the earth. How many know that the visible kings aren't always the rulers? Am I right? Mm -hmm. Because very often they're just puppets. Puppets for the real rulers who are normally the guys with money, the billionaires, the bankers. And a lot of times that these political figures that we have are just figureheads. The real rulers are the ones that control them, the ones that have things on them so that they'll do their bidding, or the ones that bribe them to do their bidding, or a combination of both. Oh, but that's a conspiracy. Well, this is what the psalm's about. A conspiracy. Be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Here's the message to them. And as I said, they're not going to teach it to each other. You and I need to say it to them. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. I tell you right now, if you are a leader in the nation, in any nation particularly right now, you should be trembling. And you should have the fear of God on you. And the fact that they don't is the problem. The nations are in the state they're in because our leaders don't fear God. And the only way they're ever going to fear God is if they see the power of God in action. And that's over to you and I. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Or I like what it says in the NLT. Submit to God's royal son. So that's, we know he's talking about Jesus there, don't we? Kiss the Son, the Son of God, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Kiss him, which means to uh, submit to him, to worship him. Open your heart to him, lest he be angry. Lest he be angry. You don't want to make Jesus angry. Remember that? Uh, the Incredible Hulk, when he used to say, 
uh, don't make me angry. You, you don't want to see me when you're angry. Well, that's what it's saying here. Don't get Jesus angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. That's what the Hulk said. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And Jesus is a lot stronger than an incredible Hulk. Amen? Kiss the son. Why? Lest he be angry. Or he will become angry. And it says you perish from the way. Or it says here you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. The NIV says this. Your way will lead to your destruction. When his wrath is kindled but a little, his wrath can flare up in a moment. In an instant. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Don't get Jesus angry. Now, I want to speak to you a little bit about what the Bible calls the day of wrath or the day of his wrath. I understand that when we look at it in an eschatological way, we see the day of wrath as at the end of time or the end of you know, this sort of dispensation and, and accept that. But I also think it's clear from the context, because this is the context of wicked kings not serving him. And I think that even in the timeline of history, the nations and their kings can push Jesus to anger so that judgment falls on a nation. You could, you could say the Second World War. You know, that the, the Axis powers provoke God's wrath. I'm not one of those that thinks, oh, Jesus, you know, God has switched off his judgment and his wrath until the end of time and he's, uh, you know, lying back in a hammock not caring about what goes on. That, that's, that, that's not... That's not Bible. I think we can tick Jesus off. And I'm not talking about uh, the, the end of time and the second coming on and all that. Let's turn to Psalm 110. You see, the word of God is full of it. Absolutely full of it. Where God responds in history, in Bible history, and I believe in our post-biblical history, he responds to governments and governmental rulers and wicked people taking control and, and, and people like Hitler and so on. He responds to that and brings swift end to their reign. You know, Daniel had the vision of the four beasts. Now, where is Babylon today? Where is Medo-Persia today? Where is Greece today? Those powers and, and when we looked at the four horns in, Ze in Zechariah powers that were in the earth that rose up and notice how none of them are ever nice or kind towards Israel or God's people in our day the church and God pulled them down in history in, the, in, the, in Bible times and God pulled down uh has done it, as I said, many times in history. So Psalm 110, the Lord, or Yahweh, said unto my Lord, see, here it is again that we're differentiating between Yahweh and Jesus. Yahweh said unto my Lord, this is David speaking, 
And you notice how David calls Jesus Lord a thousand years before Jesus walks the earth. We call Jesus Lord because we're New Testament Christians. But a thousand years before Jesus even was born, incarnated, David was saying, he's my Lord. I've got a Lord. I am a man under authority. I have a king. I have a Lord. I rule all of Israel, and that was some deal. But I've got somebody that I answer to. And you know, that's David giving an example to Boris Johnson, to Queen Elizabeth, to Nicola Sturgeon, to Putin, to Joe Biden, and all the leaders. He's saying, if you're going to rule a country, you have to be under authority, and you have to bow to the right man. And he shows us how that national rulers must align with the throne of glory or their authority is bogus. Even if it's real, even if it's powerful, even if they, they, have, they, they have, you know, almost unlimited powers on the earth, they have no legitimacy. They have no authority because they're not aligned with the throne of glory. So their jacket is on a sugarly peg. But he says, no, this is my Lord. Sit thou at my right hand. My Lord sits at Yahweh's right hand, he says. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now who's going to make Jesus' enemies his footstool? Or the angel armies? Yes. But because you and I activate them, not by doing that weird stuff about bossing angels around, but by decreeing God's will, and then that activates the angels. When we speak God's word, it activates the angels. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. It's our job here on earth to make Jesus a comfy footstool out of all his enemies. And there are many of them. Yahweh shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Of course, Zion is the church. Isn't it? It's the people of God. It's where... The action is, it's the place where you encounter God and his people. So in this dispensation, in this era, that's the church. He says, I'll send the rod of your strength, the scepter, that word says in, in Hebrew. Which means the church must exercise governmental authority. And the very word ecclesia, which we've looked at, that's what it means, governmental assembly. Called out ones. For a purpose, which is to govern. You know, back in the Greek and Roman times, ecclesias were assemblies of people who governed our territory. <clears throat> he says, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So that's not talking about the end of time when all the enemies are put down. That's not talking about that time when there are no more enemies. He says, rule thou in the midst of enemies. So it must mean now, because we're still in this process, folks. What process? The process is the present moment operation of God the Father of Yahweh, which is to subdue the enemies of Christ under his feet. And that's our job. Yeah, we do that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We, we do that when we get somebody saved. We do that when we cast out devils. We do that when we minister healing. We do that with all of those things. But it's not just within the four walls of church or it's not just within that setting. 
It has to become, it has to transform society. What people say, invading the seven mountains of culture. It has to change things. Remember it said in the early church, these are the people that have turned the world upside down. You know, you can have church, you can be, you can be floating up and down these aisles, levitating. They can be, you know, swinging from these lights. I don't know they would hold their weight. But if it doesn't impact that street out there, then... But look what it says. It says Jesus is to rule in the midst of his enemies, and he does this through his ecclesia. Now, let's just, because we're, just for the purpose of time, let's just scoot along here a little bit um, and go to verse 5. And it says here, The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Or in the New King James it says, He will execute kings in the day of his wrath. That's strong, very strong language, isn't it? But you know, Psalm 110, I think, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament by far, which means it has New Testament New Covenant, church era relevance. This isn't just, oh, the bloodthirsty God of the Old Covenant. Oh, oh, he's talking about Jesus here. Oh, yes, but that's the second coming. Well, yes, but notice he's in the midst of his enemies. It says here, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He, and, but I like what the, the NLT says, he will strike down many kings when his anger erupts. So like I said to you, it's not necessarily talking about the day of wrath at the end of time. It's saying when his anger erupts. How, what causes his anger to erupt? We've just read it in Psalm 2, when national leaders will not submit to him, they reach a point where he gets angry. They reach a point where it says, his wrath is kindled but a little. And let me just say this to you, how can you kindle Jesus' wrath when he sees his people being oppressed, harried, assaulted, persecuted? How many people, how many dictators, how many tyrants in history have risen up and attacked God's people, the church? Where are they now? Where is their kingdom now? You know, Hitler was going to start a thousand-year reich. Look what happened to him. God is in the business of striking down kings, of crushing kings. Uh, I meant to bring my passion. Okay, let's hear. I'm going to read this. Read this in the Passion Translation. Psalm 110. Now, I, I, I call it a translation. It's a paraphrase, okay? Just in case people get a bit paranoid about that. I love the, the passion, but it is a paraphrase. The Lord stands in full authority to shatter to pieces the kings who stand against you on the day he displays his terrible wrath. And then verse 6, folks, look what it says in verse 6. Uh, give, give he shall judge among 
the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He will execute the heads of many countries. Or, in the passion it says, he will shatter the strongholds of ruling powers. Now, does that mean that Jesus is in the business of killing presidents and prime ministers? Well, according to God, God's word, yes. But it says he will destroy them. And we could take it, if we're being nice about it, that he will destroy their power. He will destroy their office. But I am quite sure that a lot of these rulers, Hitler included, they perish because judgment has come upon them. We're about the serious business here, folks, of nations. It's serious to God how nations act because, and how national rulers act because they are responsible for the people under them. And let's be really honest, if they oppress the church and oppress the people and limit the activities of church, uh, make, for example, gathering illegal, and I'm not talking about in this country, other countries in particular, where it's illegal to be a Christian, that hinders the work of the gospel. So Jesus will crush the rulers over many countries. Now I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip some of my notes here, and I'm going to go straight to Revelation chapter 15. I just really wanted to show you from Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation 5 how the word of God predicts that the saints of God will take possession of the kingdom and Antichrist will be put down, okay? Let's go to Revelation chapter 15. We'll close with these couple of scriptures. Revelation chapter 15. God has a problem with national rulers who reject and will not bow and submit to his son. We ought to have a problem with those same rulers. Amen? Revelation chapter 15 says here, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete, or in them is filled up the wrath of God. I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand in the sea of glass, having the hearts of God. Now watch this. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. He's talking here about a remnant people in the last days who sing the song of Moses. Brothers and sisters, do we sing the song of Moses? Amen. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is we should. We should be familiar with it because these people were so familiar with it, they sang it. But, oh, the song of Moses, that's Old Testament. Oh, yeah, that's way back in the Exodus. Yes. But if it's a new covenant people at the end of time who have, were overcomers over the beast and they're singing the song of Moses, what's the song of Moses about? Very quickly, 
before we close, let's look. Exodus 15. And we'll see it. This is after... Now, why does the Lord keep saying, I'm the one that defeated Rahab? I'm the one that uh, drowned Egypt in the sea? The Lord keeps referring to that in the prophetic word in particular, Isaiah and so on. Because there's a message in this old ancient victory for us at the end of time. And look what it is. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Over what? Over who? Egypt, which is a type of the world. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And that reminds us of mystery Babylon seated on the beast in Revelation 17. And the Bible says that it will be thrown into the sea. The horse and his rider here it is, the, the, the chariots of Pharaoh. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him an habitation. Now, we need to be preparing. This is, remember, this is the end time song of the overcomers. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name or Yahweh. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts. His army, his, the best of Pharaoh's officers, are drowned in the Red Sea. Those that rose up against those rulers, because they were Israel's rulers, and they held them in bondage and in slavery and, and oppression, and God drowned them in the Red Sea. And this is what we're supposed to sing about in the end times. The depths have covered them, they sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, or the glorious uh, 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 of your excellence, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. You sent forth your wrath, and you consumed them as stubble. All right? Look at this. Let's, uh, we can read it all. But look what it says if we just nip down here too. Verse 14. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. You see, the song of Moses, brothers and sisters, and we don't have time to really read it all, is about God overcoming wicked worldly powers, Pharaoh and his high officers, the rulers of Israel who oppressed them and held them in bondage. And the song of Moses is about God delivering them from that bondage. Deliver them from that oppression by drowning Pharaoh and his army in the sea. Breaking the power of Egypt over his people. You see, if he hadn't done that, they would always have been a threat. God's not interested. I'll just take you to a place of safety. And then when you get to that place of safety, you can pray for Pharaoh and his army. 
he says, they've got to go. So they're no longer a threat to my people. And I believe the Lord wants to drown the wicked conspiracy of rulers right now. These arrogant rulers that we see, and we, we've seen it a lot in the papers in recent times. We've seen how the people are no longer tolerant of it. I'm talking about Boris Johnson right now as well. I'm talking about Nicola Sturgeon. People are saying enough is enough. Because, and, and one of the reasons is because they do what they want, but we have to do what they tell us. And it's not about being anti-government or being rebels. It's about understanding they are not righteous people. They're not honest people. They're not people that are fit to govern. And so it's our responsibility to bring these things before the Lord and ask the Lord to drown Pharaoh's armies once more. And that means, folks, it's very simple, doing what the Bible tells us to do. In fact, we'll close with this. I know I said that was a lot, but let's just do this. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and this will be my final close. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We do this every church service and on the Lord's Day morning, as, as those that come know that we do this, um, and we will, we will always do it. Because it's, it's a command. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a nice idea. It's a command. Look at this. It says here. I exhort therefore. I urge first of all. First of all folks. I exhort therefore that first of all. In other words. Here's your priority. In prayer. Supplications. Prayers. Intercessions. And giving of thanks be made for all men. So in other words. He's saying pray. That all men. All people. Come to know the Lord. That the Spirit of God is poured out in all flesh. Every man, woman and child would come to know him. But here's the strategy for doing it. For kings. And for all that are in authority. Because if you get the head right, the body will follow. If you get the high hegens right with me. All the revivals of the Old Testament came through kings. When the king was right. When Josiah, Hezekiah, when these... Kings. And the worst of all was a king of Judah, Manasseh. He was the worst of all. And there were some real bad ones in the northern kingdom of Israel. But Manasseh was the worst. But in his latter days, his heart softened. And God blessed his latter days. Wonderful. What does that tell us? No matter how wicked our rulers are, if we can pray and the Lord turn their heart. Pray for kings and all that in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of truth. What he's really saying here in a nutshell is this. If you pray for your rulers and they get right with God, that will create an atmosphere for revival. You say, well, what if they don't? What if they harden their heart like Pharaoh? Well, look what happened to Pharaoh. So our prayers are very simple. Lord, if we pray for Boris, let's just do that right now. Let's just not just talk, let's do it. Father, we just pray right now. We believe you've pronounced judgment on this man, Boris Johnson. And Lord, we believe that same judgment is coming to Nicholas Stone. Father, if there is any way these people can be reached right now that they would repent and turn in their hearts towards you, that's what we pray would happen. And they would lead the nation to come <coughs> 
humbly back to you. But if they'll not do it, if they won't do it, Father, remove them completely from office and replace them with the godly. Remove the wicked from power. Replace them with the godly. We pray, Lord, this day, in this place, as your people, as your ecclesia, straight through kings, Father. Lord, write them off if they will not follow you, but give us righteous government and godly order in the land, we pray. In Jesus' name. That's what we're looking for, folks. That's how we need to be praying for those who have the rule over us. That God will either change them, uh, I like to call it improve or remove. And we need to see improvement, I believe. I don't want to be ruled over by wretches and the ungodly and wicked, control freak people. I want to be governed and ruled. As David said, that uh, he that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. We need the fear of God to come upon 10 Downing Street and the offices of power in our land. So keep praying that way, folks. And believe that the Lord will do this in our midst. Because I think we need to start understanding, picking up from the Holy Spirit, just what a difference it would make in our land if we had righteous and godly leaders. Amen. The Lord bless you.